0: To history Gems, the podcast that combines history and jewels to bring you dazzling stories from the past. I'm Dr Nicola Tallis and I'm a Tudor historian and author of three books, Crown of Blood, Elizabeth's Rival and Uncrowned Queen. Jewels often have their own unique and fascinating stories to tell and on each episode of History Gems, I'll be joined by an expert guest to bring these stories to you. It was her most cherished jewel, and she kept this ring with her until the day she died. And I just think it speaks volumes about her true feelings towards her mother. Joan of Navarre is probably one of our least known Queens of England, full stop.
1: It's the only one of Fabergé's eggs that looks like an egg. When you open it, um, this sort of white exterior gives way to gold and a little golden hen
0: he was just desperate to get more power uh, than she was willing to give him so he rebelled it was one of the worst planned rebellions in history they actually i love this fact they sort of stopped for lunch halfway through the rebellion there are some frustrating gaps in our knowledge but i suppose you know that's also why we keep going with it because just that enticing prospect of discovering something in today's episode of History Gems, I'm going to be talking to Julian Humphries, who's had an incredible career and wears several hats in the world of history and heritage. Julian has worked at the National Army Museum in Chelsea. He's worked as a historical expert on many TV programmes. Um, he's also a blue badge guide he's an author, and he is the development officer of the Battlefields Trust. So I can tell you that there's not much that Julian doesn't know about castles and battles, and that is of particular importance and interest given today's episode.
1: What those, that, that board badge and what the cannonballs and what, you know, the bits of coin, etc. have shown us, I think, is, is precisely where the battle was fought. I just get sort of um, rather excited by the fact that I'm on the very spot.
0: So Julian's a pro on many subjects, but he's chatting with me today about a subject that's as popular as it is, or as he is, controversial. Richard III. And in particular, Richard's Bore badge, of which there are several surviving examples. So hi, Julian, and welcome to History Gems. Um, Hi, Nicola.
1: Nice to be with you.
0: Thank you very much for giving up your time today. It's a pleasure to be chatting to you. Now, before we come on to the badge, can you begin by telling us a little bit about Richard III?
1: Well, Richard III was originally Richard of, of Gloucester, he was quite a loyal servant, it appears, of, of Edward IV. So we're now talking about the second half of the 15th century. He was, um, amongst other things, uh, Edward's uh, lieutenant in the, uh, the the north of England uh, in the 1470s, 1480s. And he was quite a, as I say, quite a loyal servant of, of Edward. But it all gets controversial when Edward rather unexpectedly died in 1483, leaving two young sons, of which one would become Edward V. But this led to an extraordinary power struggle, really, amongst the House of York, which is the house that that, that Richard belonged to, uh, because there are a number of factions within that that house. So you had Edward IV, but you also had his wife's family, the Woodvilles. You had uh, Edward's friend, uh, Hastings. You had Richard himself and others. And the one thing that held them together, really, it's a little bit in a way like Tito's Yugoslavia. The one thing that held uh, that affinity together was the character of Edward. And of course, once Edward IV died, these factions start to rub up against each other. And it's at that time that uh, Richard makes his bid for power. He makes it, I think, initially as a, a defensive act, because, you know, I think he Felt he was on the wrong side of the Woodfills, in particular. Mm-hmm. And so he was He was very keen to get control of the young Edward V and, and his brother. And I think initially as sort of regent, really, you know, or as protector of the realm. But I think after a while, he realises that when those kids grow up, they're He's, his position is going to be uncertain. And so he goes from wanting to control them to replace them. And you get this situation where it is claimed that Edward IV's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville was bigamous because he was pre-contracted to somebody else. As a result, uh, the kids are illegitimate. So therefore, they can't reign. So who can enter Richard in that way. But in doing that, he rather splits the Yorkist the establishment even further and it enables this nobody really, I suppose you could say, Henry Tudor, yeah. who is in yeah. exile at the time, to pro- proclaim himself, I suppose, as king and portray himself not just as an enemy of Richard, but as perhaps a true supporter of what the House of York should be. So, you know, he gets support from a lot of people who were in uh, Edward IV's Household. And so in 1483, Richard is crowned king, but within two years, of course, he's lost that crown at Bosworth, and Henry Tudor becomes king of England. Clearly, Richard is not the villain of, of, of Shakespeare's uh, history. You know, I mean, people blame Shakespeare for this, don't they? But in fact, Shakespeare was only working on the histories that had come before that, which people, you know, often describe it as Tudor propaganda, aren't they? Well, it's the Tudor view of of, of Richard, and it's a view that you would expect them to have, I suppose, in many ways. But I don't think there's any uh, thought really in Richard's mind, as Shakespeare implies that, you know, he always wanted to grab the crown. I think it's something that that developed. In an odd way, the same thing happened with his dad, didn't it? Because Richard of York, um, his, his father, initially, he really wanted to be I suppose regent of the country, didn't he? He wanted to be the person at the centre of government during the periods of Henry VI's mental instability, um, and it was only later, I think, as a, as a defensive action, that he claimed the throne. And you know, it's it's funny how his um, his son, I think, plays out exactly the same story.
0: That's something I've not necessarily thought of in that way before. But you're right that there's definitely a comparison to be drawn there, for sure. But tell us about. The Boar badge, which was which was Richard's personal livery, wasn't it? And perhaps you can also explain what a livery badge was as well.
1: Okay, well obviously we, we all know about uh, coats of arms, don't we? You, you know, and all all of these families have got their coats of arms. So the royal coat of arms at the time was, you know, the the, the leopards of, of England and the fleur de lis of, of of France. Yeah. And the Percy family, the Earls of Northumberland had like a uh, a blue lion on a yellow background, with uh, then quartered with with some sort of white fishes looses on a, a red background. The Earls of Warwick had a phenomenally complicated coat of arms because of all of their marriages and inheritances, and so on and so on. But and that's fine, you know, and it, and it shows what your, your your ancestry was. But when it actually comes to recognizing that on the battlefield or embroidering it on somebody's coat, or carving it on the outside of a castle. It's a bit, it's a bit expensive and a bit complicated. So the noble families of the, of the late Middle Ages, they adopted livery badges. And I suppose the easiest comparison would be to say that they're like logos of today. Hmm. So there are these badges, and uh, then we come to Richard of Gloucester, and he chooses for his badge um, a white boar. And it's it's perhaps one probably the most isn't it I'd I have thought it's the most famous one of all you know and, yeah. and we met people that would call themselves Ricardians and they have little boar badges that they wear don't they you know and they will uh, and and it's very much associated with with uh, with Richard the yeah. Third and sometimes in the sort of commentaries and poetries of the of, of the time it, it, he's, he's called a boar, isn't he you know so there's that very famous uh, couplet that criticised poem that criticized richard's uh uh rule and his reliance on a small number of favorites where it says the cat gatesby the rat Ratcliffe, and lovell our dog ruleth all England under a hog yeah. and the hog of course is um is is the boar of 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 Richard the third so that was very much his his badge and you're so right you know that there are um versions of it around and we'll come back to the one that was found at uh um, at Bosworth a little or later, this this badge was embroidered on places and it was carved on places. So, if you go to some of those castles in the north of England that Richard used when he was Warden of the Northern Marches, you you see one, for example, um, at Barnard Castle, quite oh. famous castle at the moment because oh. Richard got Barnard Castle after the um, the Nevilles had been had been defeated, and there's the remains of the great chamber. And there's a, a window that looks out over the river. And if you look up, there's this boar badge, boar carved into the, the stone. And if you go to Carlisle Castle, again, used by Richard when he was warden of the Northern Marches. And uh, there, there's a sort of prison area and guard room area in the keep at Carlisle. And there's all sorts of, of carvings there that, that board guards or board prisoners have done, probably guards. And there's lovely versions of, of, of Richard's boar there.
0: Thinking about Richard's choice of the boar, why do you think that he chose that particular symbol? And was it a symbol that was unique to him or did other nobles use it too?
1: Well, that's a very, very good question. And, um, you know, people often say, you know, he chose the boar because it stood for... You, you know, aggression, for example, and courage. You know what Wild boar are like. You know, but that that's never been written down, as far as I know. I don't think it's, it's ever been articulated that. And people chose all sorts of uh, of, of peculiar things as 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 badges. You know, it, 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 uh, somebody else chose a, a sort of water carrier as a as as a badge. You know, so it, it, uh, or a fish as a badge. You know, so whether there was any kind of symbolism uh, in it, I I don't know, but. People like heraldic beasts, don't they, I suppose, you know, bears and, and yeah, lions. Yeah. And, and I suppose a, a boar was uh, something that the nobility would have been pretty familiar with, because I imagine they would have gone around hunting them, wouldn't they? Yeah, you know, I well, that's what I was
0: going to ask, Was I wondered if there was perhaps some link with, with hunting in there, maybe. Um,
1: well, I, I, I think you're probably right, but I but I would say it was quite a popular symbol.
0: Hmm. And
1: it's very interesting that if, if you go to Towton, which was... Very very bloody battle in 1461 when the Yorkists defeated the Lancastrians. I think we've been there together actually. I've been with It
0: was very evocative,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And there's a there's a little chapel there at a place called Leeds, which was there at the time of the uh, uh, of of the of the battle. And the rich of the Third Society paid for a, a new window to go in. Um, which was good of them, because at the time, R- Richard of Gloucester, the future Richard III, would have only been about eight years old. He'd have just been a little boy. But they, they put this window in and in it, there's a white boar,
0: okay. which
1: is fine. You can see why they would do that. But at the time of the Battle of um, of Towton, the white boar was a badge of one of the Lancastrian families, the oh. Courtney Earls of Devon.
0: Oh, okay. And so,
1: if you see somebody with a white boar on the um, uh, on the battlefield, he would have been an enemy of the Yorkists at that time. And and I potted around Exeter in my time, and you do see that white boar around there on on things connected with the Courtney. So it wasn't unique um, to Richard, although I suppose being a personal badge, perhaps the member of the of the the Courtney's that was using it had died. And Richard adopted it. I, I, I don't really know about that, but it wasn't. It was. He was not the only person that used a, a, a whiteboard. And then that leads you on to um, to John de Vere, the Earl of Oxford. Yeah. Who like, a very interesting character. Um, and he he's he's pretty good to study. I I, I think uh, James Ross, who I think was at the University of Winchester, did a brilliant biography of him. Yeah. And what's good about about John de Earl of Oxford, just if people haven't heard of him, he. Was a true Lancastrian really through the later part of the Wars of the Roses. He and he played a major part in Henry Tudor's victory at the Battle of um, of Bosworth. And John De Vere is uh, of Oxford, well Veres, V-E-R-E-S. In Latin, it means bore. So perhaps you can see yeah. why he would have got the boar, because it was a play on his name. Yeah. So therefore, if you go to somewhere like, like um, again. I think we've been there, been there together. But Lavenham yes. in, in Suffolk, you know, there's a stupid church, isn't there? Up on there, brilliant, isn't it? You know, yeah. well, if you look at it, it's got um, what, it's got boars on the outside of the porch. Because it was a badge of John de Vere, Earl of Oxford, and he was the man that, that owned all the land in that area. Oh
0: and I think he
1: coughed up a bit of money for the extension of the church after 1485, because he went through a bit of a bad patch where he was a prisoner of of the Yorkists over in Calais for a while, and then he cut him and I think he escaped and then fought for Henry Tudor at, at Bosworth. So the ball was also a, um, a a badge of um, of the Earl of of, of Oxford. I'm quite keen on on him, and, and, and I mentioned um, uh, that James Ross has done a book. The good thing about the Earl of Oxford, when you want to study him, is that he he left a very detailed sort of last will and testament, okay. and it tells you all the stuff that he had, from suits of armor to wall hangings to jewelry, and so we know a little bit about what John Devere's jewelry was like, for example. Oh wow! Um, and, and it's fascinating to see what how much money. He spent on this I mean I don't know but uh, you'll, you'll know better than me but did I think it was just quite an ostentatious age and if you had it yes. I, I think he, he flaunted, flaunted it, it. Didn't you, absolutely you know,
0: and, outward display with everything yeah.
1: yes so we know for example that 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 the ver had a lot of quite expensive um bore jewelry in his um it, well, I don't know what he whatever wherever he kept it you'd know what i me mean? but it's in yeah. the um, it's in it's in his sort of last will and testament the difference is um that that John DeVere's boar was a blue boar, not a not a silver boar. And um some people say that's why in this country there are blue boar pubs. There's quite a few blue blue boar pubs that yeah. I can think of. You know, I, I think there's one in Grantham that that I think I might have been to one in Cambridge, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of very many white boar pubs.
0: No, if, I can't think
1: of any actually, and uh, and I think the um that 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 what people say, whether it's true or not, but it's a it's it's a good story, is that there there were white boar pubs, but of course after Richard the was was killed at the Battle of Bosworth, people got out of the blue paint, you
0: know,
1: <laughs> the the but, but there you are. But it, it is true that there are blue boar pubs, and they relate to the um the Earl of Oxford. Perhaps it's simply that they were founded later when the Earls of Oxford was still sort of dominant, I don't know.
0: So tell me more about the Boar Badge at Bosworth. Where was it found and when was it found?
1: The thing about Bosworth is that for many, many years, people were not certain where the battlefield actually was. The issue is that when you read the accounts about Bosworth, one thing that keeps coming out is that there was a marsh and this marsh protected Henry Tudor's army but it looks as though Richard came to grief because his horse got stuck in it when he at the, at the end of a battle. Yeah. And there's no marsh and there's no evidence of there ever having been a marsh where the visitor center is. And so a few years ago, um, in the early 2000s, there was a, um, a lottery funded project, which the Battlefields Trust, which I am involved with, and Leicestershire County Council did this huge archaeological project to find the battle. So, you know, we we, we we obviously are delighted that we found Richard or that Richard was found in Leicester not that long ago. But prior to that, they actually found the battlefield as well. And they did it by working out where the marsh was through soil analysis, by looking at the names of the roads at Bosworth. And you're looking for a marsh. If there's somewhere called Fen Lane
0: yeah. or
1: yeah. Fen Hole, it kind of suggests that it might have been marshy. So that then, having worked out where to look, A very extensive metal detecting survey was carried out it took you know hundreds and hundreds of man and woman hours to do that metal detecting and it was really as is always the same with these archaeological projects was right at the end of the of the of the project and they they found nothing when suddenly they started to find cannonballs which sounds a bit odd doesn't it nicola for the for for that period but they did have guns you know richard we know had a lot of guns at, at bosworth that were brought up, I think, from the Tower of London in in, in particular. And they were beginning to find the balls that were shot. And they found about about 40, which is a a lot. You know, it's the biggest assemblage of of such things from the Middle Ages. So once they found those, they knew where to look. So then they started to find little bits of of detail. So they found things like the end of a sword, um, bits of broken spur, I suppose, Um, some Burgundian coins. Well, you know, there were big links, weren't there, between um, uh, England and Burgundy at, at that period, you know, and they ordered the golden fleece and what have you, you know. So you can see why they might have had those there. Mm-hmm. And then, the, you know, the, 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 what I would call the smoking gun was when one of the metal detectorists found this, um, this metal silver gilt boar badge. So high status not just like a cloth thing that was given out to one of the uh, the ordinary troops. If you've got this silver gilt board badge, yeah. you're going to be somebody important. So you're probably going to be not Richard, but one of his sort of uh, household knights.
0: Why not might- Richard, can I just ask? Well, I, I, I just think it,
1: it it could be Richards It's a fair fair comment actually I've always assumed it that he might have had a bigger one myself but okay. I could be wrong you know you could be right it could have been Richard's so yeah perhaps Richard but certainly one of, of of his household you know I've always thought of it as being one of his knights but you know you could be right it could have been Richard's It'd be nice if it was
0: it would be nice even, but even were, though,
1: you know it might have been John devero of Oxford's but it would yeah. nice <laughs> you know. and that and that really pinpointed you know people have said in the in the papers because they Love a good story, don't they? Does this mark the spot where Richard was killed? Oh, well, maybe, okay. but it could have been dropped, couldn't it, at any, any time? As I say, as, as I, as I leave my property scattered all over Hampshire as I wander around. So, oh, you know, someone could have dropped this down at, at, at some stage. But high yeah. status. So, you know, you think that it's going to be somebody around Richard and probably Richard would have gone through that spot as well.
0: Makes it really tangible as well, doesn't it? You just think people... People fought and died on that battlefield, and that's a reminder of that. There's
1: something about being on the spot, isn't there? Um, To me, uh, that sense of place, uh, I still get a thrill. There are certain places I go where I I just get sort of um, rather excited by the fact that I'm on the very spot. You know, it's why, isn't it? It's why we all love Hampton Court or the Tower of London, isn't it? What those that that board badge and what the cannonballs and what you know the bits of coin etc have shown us, I think, is is precisely where the battle was fought. So we know where it was fought. What I don't think we can do for um, for Bosworth is to use the information that we have to be precisely sure about exactly how it was fought in the sense of who was where. So you know, and, and one of the big problems is that the Stanleys. We always put them together, don't we, as as the Stanleys, whereas I think maybe we need to look at them as two separate people, you know, Thomas and William Stanley, whose intervention at Bosworth was quite important. Mm. Um, We don't know where they were on the battlefield, so people plump them where they think they might be. But you get all these very detailed maps of of Bosworth with Richard's guns here and Earl of Oxford here and his... Uh, the French here and the Stanleys here and whatever we don't really know you know there are lots of things about Bosworth that we that we don't know we want to know one of the example I suppose is that um, the Earl of Northumberland who is on Richard's side doesn't fight in the battle and um, we don't know why now is it that, is it treachery some people say it's that he betrayed Richard you know is it that where he was on the on the battle, there wasn't room because of this swamp, this march, or he was worried about the Stanleys being nearby, or was it simply that because he was in charge of the rear guard, by the time his troops had got onto the battlefield, Richard had been killed? We just don't know. So there's an awful lot of we 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 don't know about some um, about Bosworth, but that makes it difficult for historians because you know if you want to write a book, you've got to come up with something, haven't you? So you yeah. get these interpretations of exactly what happened. But I'm always a bit cautious about this. If you go forward in in, in time, you go forward to the Civil War, it's a bit easier because A, there's, there's more written sources, but also there's more archaeological because in the Civil War, people shot musket balls at each other and if that mis- musket ball missed, it lands in the ground, and the chances are it will remain there undiscovered until somebody comes along with a metal detector and finds it. Yeah. For the Wars of the Roses, people are shooting mainly arrows at each other. Well, arrows were, yeah, you know, it doesn't take very long to shoot an arrow, does it? But it takes a long time to make because you know you've you've got to catch a goose. Get some feathers off the goose for the for the the end of it. You know, you've got to get some straight wood for the shaft. You've got to forge the arrowhead, stick it on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're worth gathering up, mm. and also they're fairly easy to see because they've got this shaft and feathers on the end of them. So after a battle, there's a huge clear up, you know, of, of, of these things. Um, so a lot of the material will have gone, you know, because it, you know it's to the victor the spoils. And so it's only often they not quite small things or things that have got buried in the mud like those heavy cannonballs that 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 survive for us to find Ooh. and the further back you go in history you go back to something like the battle of hastings and the chances of finding much much stuff are very very slight really
0: so we've talked about the fact that both richard iii and the earl of oxford had the same symbol as in the boar surely the fact that this could happen to other people. So other nobles, other monarchs, other families could share a symbol. Surely sometimes this could lead to problems, could it not?
1: Absolutely. And it's not just actually the the, the badges. Sometimes it happened with heraldry because um, when Richard II gathered the army together to invade Scotland at the end of the 14th century, um, the Scroops and the Grosvenors turned up. And horror and hor- of horror... They both had the same coat of arms, which was blue with a yellow bend on it, okay. and there was this great ruck, you know. Oh, we've had it first. You had you you've nicked that off us, and it and it went on and on this this argument, and all sorts of people were were, were called in to give evidence. So I saw the Scroops wearing it in the French campaign, and it went on and on in that way. So it it could actually cause that kind of, of squabbling, but it could also you're right, it it could cause confusion on the on the battlefield and th- there is a specific example of this that um Walkworth mentions and 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 he says that at the um at the battle of Barnet which was in 1471 so this is when warwick the kingmaker had switched sides because he'd fallen out with Edward IV and the, the Woodvilles
0: yeah. and
1: and and he made this extraordinary sort of alliance of convenience with Margaret of Anjou uh, probably hated each other but you know they hated the Yorkists even more i i, I guess yeah. and they got poor old henry the Sixth out of out of a tower and chucked a crown on his head and paraded him through the streets but he was no yeah. more than a puppet well anyway but the fourth came back and uh, they the, the, the two armies Warwick the kingmaker's army and Edward the fourth army it clashed at barnet which is just north london it's the one that Wars of the Roses battlefield you can get to on the underground actually, and what we what we know about it was it was a very very foggy morning, incredibly foggy, so nobody could really see who was who. And at one stage, um, John de Vere's forces sort of they 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 driven off the Yorkists opposite, opposite to them, and then they came back onto the battlefield. And Walworth says that um, that their badge, which he said was a, was a star uh, with streams on it. Um, and looked like the badge of the Orchis, which was a, a, a sort of sun. And as a result, the other Lancastrians attacked them, and the Lancastrian army dissolved into, into treachery, you know, accusations of treachery. Two things to say. For well, First of all, you know, we've talked about the Boar badge, but the Earl of Oxford also had a, a, a badge, which was a star. It, they called it a mullet. It was a five-pointed star. And again, if you look at that St. Peter and St. Paul Avenham, that star is all over the church.
0: Is that usual to have two badges? Um,
1: there are lists that I've seen um, from the period, and, and some people did. Yeah, oh, really? um, but I think that that when you look at, for example, um, John Devere's tapestries, etc., I get this feeling that he favoured the boar over this over this star badge. But I don't know about that. I may I may be wrong, you know, and. Uh, in the same way that um, that Richard was sometimes referred to as the Hog, you know, at a, in some of the poems of the late fifteenth century, the Earl of Oxford is described as the as the Blue Boar. Ah. So, I, you know, in that way, so so some people did have more than one one badge. You know, I, I guess Richard of of York, you know, the, the he had a falcon and a lock, which is like a manacle as a as a badge, but also. The Yorkists had a sort of sun badge, so the Lancastrians, I, I guess, had their S's, didn't they? But they also had a swan. So maybe some people have more than one. So then this caused confusion, although people have, have, are not sure about whether it really happened or not, because the Lancastrian or the the, the badge of the Earl of Oxford, it, it, it was a star, but it didn't have streams behind it, you know. So whether this is a story that that was passed on. I, I, I don't know, but you can see how it could happen on the battlefield. You imagine peering through the the fog, can't you? And you're trying to make out that symbol. You know, is it a star? Is it a sun?
0: Well, is yeah, it a ball? Yeah. You
1: know, it, you, you do wonder. You know, why 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 they didn't attack each other more often? To be honest.
0: Well, yeah, because it's a highly stressful situation. Yeah. Surely that all your senses are completely heightened and. Yeah, as you say, it's it's surprising in some ways that it didn't happen more often. Fascinating. OK, so we've talked about Richard's boar badge, and I thought it'd be quite interesting to mention that there is another surviving jewel that is connected to him, which is the famous Midlum jewel.
1: I know very little about it other than the fact that um, it was found at, at Midlam, and it, it, it's sort of gold, isn't it, with uh, a, a blue jewel on it and it's got religious scenes on it it's so high status that the chances are it's going to have belonged probably to one of the of the women of the sort of late medieval period that was associated with midland
0: it formed part of the research that i did for my phd thesis and i agree with everything that you've said and i think actually you've provided quite a nice teaser and a nice little introduction because we are actually going to be returning to the Midland Jewel in a later episode, so I'll leave. Well, you there. I look forward
1: to hearing that. That would be great. I'll, I'll tune in.
0: Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Julian, just one final question for you, which is: Are you able to tell us anything about what it is that you're up to at the moment and what it is that you're working on at the moment?
1: Um, the main thing that I'm doing at the moment is that I'm doing work for the for the Battlefields Trust. Uh, battlefields Trust is the you know the UK charity which tries to find out more about battlefields, but also tries to uh, protect them and get people to appreciate them a, a lot more. And we have a big thing on our website which is called the Battlefields Resource Centre. So you can go on there, and if you want to find out about a battle from, let's say, the Wars of the Roses, be it Tewton or Bosworth or a Tudor battle like uh, Flodden, you've lots of information there. But it takes a, a constant Upkeep because people are always finding out new things, you know, and coming up with new theories. So one of the things that I'm I'm quite busy with over the uh, over the winter is uh, keeping helping to keep its its resource centre up to date. This is a place where there's lots of information about battlefields in in England, so a good place to go if you're interested in the wars of the Roses or the or the Tudor period. So that takes up quite a bit of time. I've just started getting involved with doing some university um, lecturing. Uh, I'll say more about that uh, at a later date, I think. Uh, And finally, I'll be be looking forward to perhaps doing some more tours again next year. Uh, This year I've had, uh, I think it's 25 tours cancelled, which is uh, quite a lot. But, uh, you know, at least I'm healthy and I've got a nice place to live. And so a lot of people are much worse off than me. But I love to get out and about and, and visit the places where history was made. And so all being well, next year, we can pick up on that again. And maybe we'll meet up on one or two tours.
0: Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. well, um, so Julian, for those who want to find out more about you and the work that you do, how can they find you?
1: Well, I'm far too disorganised to have a website. So you have to follow <laughs> me on on Twitter, really, which is uh, I, I, I'm called ge- at General Jewels. So general like general accident or general montgomery Jules <laughs> j-u-l-e-s general Jules, and i usually put put there what i'm up to also the battlefields trust um they have a, a, a website www.battlefieldstrust.com and that says about events and and developments in in the, in the field of the late medieval military history so they're really the the, the two places i think where you can best find me
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of History Gems and if you're interested we'll be putting up some pictures of the ball badge on our social media platforms at History Gems Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed this podcast please press subscribe and leave us both a rating and a review. That's all for now, tune in next week for the next episode of History Gems.